Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Punch, Kick, Choke, Chat. My name is Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm here with my sensei, who so I'll introduce in a bit. And our guest tonight, I'm really excited to chat with is sensei Patricia Beauregard. And I want to start, sensei Beauregard, with a little bit of an, it's not part of your introduction, but if I think of the number of hours I've fought with people, I haven't fought with you a ton, but within the percentage of time we fought, you've punched me straight down the line in the face per capita as much as most people other than my teachers on this call. And the way you strike is so down the line, linear and fast. And what I wanna ask you is your thoughts on that linear, and I'll call it Shotokan striking, versus a more circular style of striking and what you think the pros and cons of each are. Okay, um, well, my, first of all, I'd like to say uh, good evening, everyone and that I'm kind of nervous to do that interview. So uh, speaking English all the time too, it might be difficult, but uh, well, I do my best. Uh, regarding the linear fighting instead of circular fighting, well, my, my perspective is no matter what, when you, when you attack, it will be in a line. Line is efficiency for me. Line is like a train going, you cannot stop a train. Line is fast like a sprint. Line is, if I'm thinking fighting, like in tournament, line is there. I don't know how to explain that more, but yes, line is, I'm there. I'm, I'm at the target, I'm reaching. Right on. I, I wanna pop through the, the horn and then we'll come back with ideas on circular with you. Um, Hanchi Legacy, let's start with you. You're the first person who introduced the idea of a straight line in martial arts to me. What are your thoughts on linear versus circular and where they fit? I think you would do circular striking, striking by necessity, but you look at boxers, uh, you know, the jab and uh, MMA fighters, you know, the guys that are going in to, for the kill go directly in. Uh, it's it's the most efficient and the most powerful way of hitting, in my opinion. So I uh, I say by that circular type of strike you're coming around is by necessity, but I wouldn't leave out um, the way the Chinese sometimes strike by using centrifugal force. There's something to be said for that, but personally. If I was in a in a real fight, I would do linear striking. I think uh, uh, even Bruce Lee in the book, The Tao of Jute Kundo, explains that efficient, and everybody, uh, I think his words are basically, everybody understands that linear striking is the best way to strike. Thanks, Anchi. Um, Let's go to you, uh, Flywheel Sensei Suino. Where do you go with linear versus circular and where the concepts fit in? Well, I think there's a place for both. I, I agree 100% with Hanchi that, and, and with uh, Sensei Beauregard that a linear strike is fast and efficient. Uh, what drives its power is the flywheel, right? So uh, in my case, the flywheel turns to drive the straight line punch. But it's interesting. We were just talking about this last night. Uh, we were out here in Tokyo and... Uh, uh, talking about a uh, sort of hybrid kick, somewhere between a front kick and a round kick. And uh, since the Dauphin is on this call, pointed out how sometimes you use that to go around the other person's attack. 
So even though it may not be as strong, or maybe it is, uh, it's useful, right, when needed to go around somebody else's guard or or, or their strike. Mm. And uh, that's true in uh, uh, striking with the arms as well as the legs. Thanks, Sensei. Where do you go with this, Sensei Dofa? Yeah, I just want to say, because Sensei Legacy will be curious about that. It's the position of the foot on the roundhouse kick, Sensei, with hitting on the top of the foot versus hitting with the ball of the foot. And I was saying on the ball of the foot, you can go around the elbow to hit the ribs, right? But I, I want to say that's still a linear kick. Um, I don't know. I I don't like when we talk about like circular striking to me, I think about flailing. I don't think about a boxer doing a hook or a wing chung expert doing like uppercuts. I think of somebody who like just flails and uses their body or, you know, swings their leg really hard. And I think that type of striking is shit. Um, I think in most, whether it's Iaido karate, you want to get your weapon between you and the target as soon as you can, like period. Like you want that thing in between you and the other person. Um, and I think people say like a hook in boxing, they say it's circular. Well, you watch Mike Tyson. He does. It's not a circular technique. It's a straight technique. He moves his body and his hand onto a certain line and then he throws it straight. Mm. Right. It's not he doesn't like start stepping and like wailing his hand. No, he's got his hands up. He ducks under. He pivots. Boom. And then it's a straight type of a technique. It's not, I just, I don't know. I just think I've never done circular techniques. So I'm not an expert on it. Um, so anybody who's watching this, who posts some stuff in the comment about how I'm stupid and I don't know about it. <laughs> um, I just think uh, straight line techniques are better. I think they deliver more power. I also would say they're easier to learn. Um, right. Like, I think it's a more efficient way to learn and it's a more natural way. You don't reach for a doorknob by like reaching your hand out here and then coming to the doorknob. You just put your hand straight forward and, and grab the doorknob. <clears throat> Thanks. Sensei, um, Sensei Beauregard, I see you nodding along and sort of enjoying those ideas. And we started with you and the question out of the gate, is there anything you want to add or anything you want to expand on? But, but the image I have in my mind when you're talking, listening, you guys, is at the end of the impact is still a line for me. I still see a line. doesn't matter if I, like you talk about the boxing and Mike Tyson turning his body, but at the end, it's still a line reaching the target. So I still see a line in, um, in the attack. M using circular movement for me would be more like in defensive, moving out away, moving out, but... Um, if I strike, I see a line like a bow and arrow. It's always in straight line. Well, I love that. And I just drew this because that's tangent to the curve. Sensei <laughs> yeah. Suino, you probably like what I'm saying here. Like, no matter what your circle is, that angle that comes off is the point of hitting or haunchy when you spin the belt. That letting go is the straight line every time. But I want to go back. Um, and I want to see if you want to add anything to the Sensei Borgard, because I really saw some eyes light up when you said, but defensively, that's where circles exist. Is there anything you want to add before I go around the horn to that idea? Because I like it. But defensively, I would say blocking, 
blocking, avoiding the technique, Tai uh, Sabaki. So I will use like circular movement, um, using like a pivoting at the last second and being, you know, turning away of the technique. So that where, that's where I see more the circular things um, in the science of martial arts. Oh, like my beautiful drawing, my scientific drawings. Tofet, <laughs> um, let's go to you because I really see your eyes pinging up on that circle idea for defense. Well, I wrote it down because I just, it resonated with me instantly that defensively, circle, like offensively, straight lines are, they're more efficient. And defensively, circles can be efficient. Um, and I know you can say, like, if somebody tries to punch you, if you're using, I don't want to, I sense the legacy will explain it, but do versus jitsu, but even just stepping, right? Like stepping in a straight line is a really bad idea when you're fighting with somebody. Like I can guarantee you if uh, uh, Beauregard sensei and I are fighting each other and I move in and then move back, if I move back on a straight line, she's going to clock me right on the jaw for sure. Like it's going to happen. Whereas if I move in and move back and off on a circle, that technique might miss a little bit, right? Like, and you might be in a position to deliver a straight line technique. Um, and yeah, just when she said it, it just, all these things in my mind started going like just about the way I fight and not understanding how you do it or why you do it naturally. Um, but I do think circular movements might be a better, um, defensive principle or an option for a better defensive principle, I think, um, in my experience. Thanks, Sensei. No offense, Sensei Suino, uh, where do your thoughts go on to this? And by the way, it doesn't have just to be about striking. I mean, you know, does this apply at all in your hands-on arts? Well, I think that gets into a really deep and, and different conversation in a way. Um, staying on the striking for a minute, I don't, you know, nuance is really important. We're talking about straight line and circular, like they're separate or that they're, that they, that they don't coexist. Uh, there's so many things in defense where, you know, if someone punches and you, you, you drive your punch in, right. That's, that's not only offense and defense in the same time, but it's a straight line and it's a rotation. Like in mm -hmm. reality, these two things coexist, uh, on, on many levels, it's like a diagram of a molecular structure. There's, there's, there's circles and straight lines supporting each other. And the more complicated the interaction, the more complicated those lines are. Um, and, uh, it's a really interesting idea that, that, uh, Sensei Beauregard said that even if the, even if the, the limb that's making the strike is circular at the moment of impact is a straight line. Um, yeah. uh, uh, I feel like this is a conversation that would be really good in the dojo where we could do hands-on with this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Hanchi Legacy, where do you go with defense, circles for defense? I agree with Sensei Suino. They're, they go hand in hand, but everybody mostly said everything. But uh, when you're defending, uh, ever try to hit punch something that's spinning? It's, you're not going to have a full square on. Like your your final defense, really, when you're standing there, and somebody gets by your block, you know, you're not getting to block it. If you spin your body, when you get hit, it, it sends the force off to the side. So I agree with Patricia that um, um, a lot of my defensiveness is circular. 
to try to avoid that hard straight on hit, which again, I'll use her analogy of it is, you gotta get hit by a, a punch that's like a train. You can sort of make it, instead of the energy going through you, you can redirect it and send it off. To the so I think we're all in agreement with that. Right on. Um, why not throw it to you, Sensei Beauregard? We had our first question come in, and we always love our questions, but it's right on this topic. When you do a shuto strike, circular or linear from Alpanakia? Wow. Um, I still see I still see a shuto with a linear. Right on. Right, yeah, yeah. My body might move on the circular, but like again, my impact is straight, straight line. Yeah. So yes, sometimes I I use that in the tournament a few times. I do too. It's a good uh, good start for uh, making the opponents um, rising his hands up, and then you can punch again. But uh, yeah, shoot as a straight straight line. Thanks, Sensei. Uh, Sensei Suino, your shooto is it circular or linear? I mean, I know we've <laughs> talked about this, but I want to throw the question around because I appreciated a question right on topic. That would be so academic for me. I, I, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a real world world answer. What I do have is the other day, you know, first training we did in Tokyo uh, on Monday night was in a BJJ school, which is hilarious to me. Um, and one of the, one of the, I think he was a blue belt. Uh, introduced himself. He goes, "My name is Shuto." And so I said, that's the coolest name ever. Let's fight. <laughs> that's all I got on that topic. <laughs> right. Sensei Legacy, would you say linear or circular for you, Shito? Uh, I guess it's it's linear. Uh, you know, again, uh, this again is it's funny to me because all human movement are created in arcs. So it's part of a circle. Every movement, in order for you to punch straight, your elbow has to move in an arc, your hands has to go out straight, and then your hand spins at the end. So really, we don't really do straight lines. Mm -hmm. We make our bodies go in a straight line. But all human movement is created by arcs. Just like taking a shot at a puck in order to make the puck goes straight. You have to bend your elbow and then arc up the stick, bring the stick down in an arc and hit the sweet spot. That's the difference between a slap shot and a wrist shot. You still have to turn your wrist. So again, Sensei Suino hit the nail on the head when he said you can't separate them. Right. Um, anything you want to add, Sensei Dauphin? Yeah, you can't. Wheels make a car go straight. Gears, gears drive something to go forward. Circles make straight lines. But I just want to say about the shuto thing for um, Sensei Panekia is language. Like somebody says something and it triggers something in your mind. Shuto just means knife hand, right? It means the part of your hand that you're striking with. And you can do that with a circle and you can do it with a straight line. And you can do both. I mean, me, I'm going to use a part of a circle to drive it in a straight line, going back to what I just said, right? I'm going to use my hips, which are going to move in a circle to drive that thing forward in a straight line. <clears throat> right on. Um, I love that. I love all of this. And I actually just want to add one idea, and I don't want to go too like 
smoked my first joint at age 19. But if you think about light, you know, when light transmits, you were late only, to the table. You were late to the table. <laughs> it it only it hits your eye and then it gets defined by where it hits the back of your eye. And so there's an idea that it's just traveling along like this and it's only our eye that defines it. And going back to my little diagram, it's like it's a circle until it hits. But once it hits, that impact has a straight line trajectory into the other person, but it could arguably keep traveling as a circle until it makes impact. The same way the light can travel like this until it hits the eye. So uh, yeah, man, circles are crazy. Uh, anyways, what a pleasure to start with such a, a wonderful set of concepts that we've never really touched on on the show this way. And I just want to say thanks again, Sensei Patricia Beauregard. Sensei Dolphin will do your introduction completely in a moment. The first thing I want to say to Hanchi Legacy is thank you for in 1993 being at the basement of alumni and teaching there as long as my time at Western existed because you introduced me to this Okinawan Japanese, depending on how people want to think about that art, that has become a staple of how I live my life and part of the reason I love my life so much. And the reason I'm saying it in this order is because the other two hosts on this call, Sensei Dolphin and Sensei Suino, are in Japan right now. And uh, so I want to actually throw it to them to see if they want to say hi and anything about that before they introduce our guest. But Hanchi Legacy, thank you for introducing me to this beautiful Okinawan art, uh, arguably a Japanese place. And to, to my senseis who are in Japan, how's it going? Me? It's going great. I'm, it's uh, getting about hmm, some nights, two hours sleep. Uh, <laughs> and then walking about 20 kilometers a day and doing the most cooling shit in between. Like yesterday morning, got up at... Uh, 4 a.m. Tokyo time to get on trains when nobody was on the trains to go to the Skiji fish market where 14 million dollars worth of tuna gets sold every day. Um, and we look down so cool. Training experiences are amazing. I've done BJJ, I've done uh jiu jitsu, I've done karate now, Kodakan tonight. Yeah, and, and the people that I'm with, I'm just really happy. I'm Holland Sensei and I are sharing a room. We're having great conversations all the time. And yeah, I'm just having a really good time. It was yesterday, Sensei Suino and I got to go to the fish market and we still got swords. I'll let you talk about that, <laughs> Sensei. Well, we just have really good people with us that we can trust. And so they went off to Seki City. They went on the bullet train and went off to Seki City and spent the day there and just had a great experience getting to know the folks at uh, Nosudo. Um, who make Yaido swords, and uh, they were kind enough to to take our specs and uh, have some swords ordered on those specs. Speaking of swords, uh, a past guest on this show, Paul Martin, is really the foremost authority on historic Japanese swords, uh, which is remarkable since he's uh, a British guy, but he's been living in Japan for, oh, I can't remember, 20 years plus. And uh, we had a hilarious moment. We're at the National Museum looking at swords on Tuesday with our little group and and he's we're standing around a display and he's saying oh this look at this national treasure here's what you look for the texture on the blade you know how to understand this where it comes from who made it and one of the museum you know guards comes over and like says you have to be quiet these people these other 
people want to look at these swords. <laughs> it was just such a hilarious moment. If she had known who he was, she would have been flabbergasted. Uh, but he was just some some foreigner talking too much to her. But we loved it. We've been having a great time training like crazy. And uh, I think for the first night, uh, I maybe had one more beer last night than I should have. Uh, and so after a couple more cups of coffee and a shower, I, I hope I feel good enough to go to the Kodokan tonight. I'm sure you'll do great, Sensei. It's nice to talk to both of you from there and, and you're down in London, Hanshi. Um, for everybody who's listening on the podcast, I hope your drive's going great. Or if you're baking banana bread, uh, I hope it's going real well and you're enjoying listening to us. For anybody watching on YouTube later, thank you. Hit that subscribe and like button, share with your friends. If you're watching now on the YouTube live, we're really happy you're here. We probably won't see your comments, but we're happy you're here. And if you're on the Zoom call, you get to be a part of this living history. We want your questions for Sensei Beauregard or any of the topics we're chatting about. And you throw those in. And Sydney, who's behind the scenes tonight, will ping them forward to us. And now, Sensei Dauphin, I throw it to you to introduce our guest. Awesome. This one, for me, it was like, you know a person, but you don't know them, right? Like, you know a person really well, but um, you don't know their history. Like, you do stuff together all the time for decades. I'm not talking about for a minute. I'm literally talking about for decades. Um, Kyoshi Beauregard and I have known each other for a really long time. So, and listen, everybody can laugh at me. I rolled over the other night on my glasses and I broke them. So I'm going to hold them on my eyes like this while I, <laughs> while, I while I read this. So um, uh, Kyoshi Patricia Beauregard is a sixth end in Legacy Shoranu Karate Jitsu, my favorite karate. Um, uh, she began karate in 1980 with the JKA Association right here in Tokyo. That's where the JKA was founded, where we are. Um, and she achieved her black belt in 1988 under one of my personal heroes in karate. Like, I mean, a personal hero, Kanazawa Sensei. The guy is, pictures of him are burned into my mind when I was young. And I, it's so cool that she got her black belt from him. Um, then she moved to London. Right. And she joined Legacy Shoranru in 1998. And she's trained with Hanchi Legacy ever since. And when I say trained with Hanchi Legacy ever since, I mean, she fucking comes all the time, like all the time. She does not miss. She doesn't miss tournaments. She doesn't miss black belt classes. She doesn't miss anything. She's always there. Um, she is Legacy Shoranru now. Uh, She's also been a good teacher. She's taught for over 30 years. Um, she's competed nationally, internationally, in dozen tournaments from 1988 to 2001. Tournaments that, similar tournaments, not together, but I've competed in them. And now my daughter's competed in those tournaments and she paved the way for us to be able to compete in those tournaments. Um, these include uh, the World Shotokan Tournament, SKI, the U.S., a challenge in New York City in 1997 and multiple world WKO championships. And she is a world champion. She's she's competed in Italy and Spain and 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 won. She's represented Canada. I'm really proud to say she's a Canadian and she's represented Canadian karate at the highest levels. Um, as well, she passes it forward, right? So it's not a person who's just all about herself. She's coached at the national level. She's coached athletes at the national level. I know at the last Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame, she was really excited that one of the people that she coached was being inducted. Um, 
In addition, she's a physical education teacher. And she runs a legacy show in her karate jitsu uh, school. Um, I like to give personal thoughts. I said it at the beginning of this. Uh, Beauregard Sensei and I are of a similar vintage, and she's still getting out on the floor. Just that Sensei Copeland's tournament, she went out and fought like just months ago. And I said, <laughs> the young person she had to fight first. <laughs> the first point, a couple of one of my students looked at me and said, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Right. Like <laughs> this person is a great martial artist. I think the other person that she punched left a little bit of pee on the tatami after after it happened. And listen, uh, Beauregard Sensei, you help that girl. She's going to be a better martial artist. You know she's going to be, be better for having fought you and what you did to her. Um, uh, I'm going to shoot at the Sensei Legacy in a minute to let him provide a couple thoughts. But when she joined Legacy Charlotte Root, she punched every badass we had in the face, chipped people's teeth, gave them black eyes and fat lips. Um, she fights until somebody says stop. And maybe a little bit after they say stop too. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit after. Um, she's friends with a lot of the people that we know. Like I know she's really closely connected with uh, Sensei Copeland. And it's really nice to have uh, Beauregard Sensei here on the call. We've fought each other. We've done kata together. We've done basics together. We've all we've gone to tournaments and gradings, and we've gone to lots of parties together. Like she is part of Legacy Sharon, and I'm so proud that she is. And one thing I want everybody to know is, no, if you think you love karate, you don't love karate as much as she does. This person, she loves karate more than anybody, and uh, you don't love karate more than her. And it's infectious when you're around. You train harder when she's around you. Um, because of her passion for karate. So I'm really, really pumped to have her here. Super pumped to have her on the show. Yeah. Sensei Legacy, what a, you got a couple thoughts that you want to share? You're her sensei, so it, it's not appropriate for me to have the final word here. Yeah, she came to our dojo a very skilled her sensei to be congratulated. She came a very skilled martial artist. Uh, just a couple of small stories. Um, uh, after the first couple of times she was training in our dojo, I was always getting these um, complaints. Uh, you know, Sensei, she doesn't have very good control. She's, she punched me in the face like so many times. These are the guys, right? These are the guys, with my good black belts. And uh, after, you know, maybe three or four classes, I thought, well, I'm going to have to get in there you know, and teach a lesson to her and everything. I get in there. And what does she do? She punches me in the face, gives me a bad <laughs> lip. <laughs> Son of a... So anyway, I <laughs> uh, I just sort of talked to her after. And um, she's she has good control. She just, in the, in the world championships, and in reality, if you want to be a good fighter, you got it. It's different. You know, doing a back fist four inches out on somebody's face in a tournament than getting inside and actually hitting somebody. You're a lot closer. And even if you get hit at that distance, you can you can hit the other person. But, you know, making contact like that sort of stuns you or moves you back a little bit. And you're not prepared 
to hit the back at that in instant that the person is in your critical distance. So she's a very good fighter in that sense. You know, if you do um, um, point karate, put some boxing gloves on sometime and try to do what you do in, in a ring, just doing that, just close. You won't, you'll get hit so many times. So um, she's a good model for ladies. As a matter of fact, um, we have made a little bit, we're starting a bit of a circuit uh, on January 29th at Audette Rice's Dojo in, in Kitchener. We're having a, a seminar for ladies only. And uh, um, Sensei Borgard is, and Sensei uh, Dauphin, and Sensei Borgard is going to be there as, uh, you know, the female model. And, and you'll see that to um, Patricia, she doesn't matter if she fights men or women, because she knows, she knows all the right way, all the right things about fighting. That it doesn't matter if a guy's bigger, if you hit him first. And that's what she does. So. Yeah, what you're going to see, Sensei, is her hitting me a lot of times. That's what, that's what you're <laughs> I'm a tent dan. She's not going to hit me. <laughs> right on. Thanks, Hanchi Legacy. Um, Sensei Beauregard, let's go to you now. My favorite question to start the show with, after our introductions, what was it like growing up for you? And what brought you into your first club? First of all, I'd like to say thank you for that kind of nice introductions. Um, and with all the great martial arts you had in, your, in this show, I'm really honored. Uh, even sometimes I have the feeling of being an imposter. Is it my place? Should I be there? Is it me? Me? But uh, thank you. I take that as an honor. So uh, to answer your questions about what brought me to karate or to my first club, since I'm a child, I was always attracted by fighting <laughs> but yeah uh and me and my dad were watching lots of fighting movies uh, tv series with fighting so i was really attracted about fighting i wanted to do fighting so i asked him to join the boxing club to another town i'm from a little town called shefford in quebec uh the closest town is waterloo quebec and the other big town is Granby. So the, the boxing club was in Granby, so we had to drive there. And he, he told me, no, you will never, never, ever do boxing. So I was kind of sad and mad a bit, but um, that that is a true story about that. So the coach, um, told you, the coach of the boxing club said that? No, no, my dad. My dad oh, said, got it, got it, got it. boxing. And we're going back in time. Though. We're in the 70s. Though. It's not usual for a woman to be in, a, in, in, in boxing. So my dad said no. But in October, 1980, uh, on the fall season, there was like flying leaves and flying garbage and a paper fly on the fence of my school. And that paper was a flyer for a karate club. So I took that paper, I brought that to my dad and I said, you cannot say no to that. <laughs> so that's how I start karate. So I, I joined the club in my little town. It's a club in the, after, school like I do, like a school gym. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, my first sense, his name was uh, Jean-Guy Jacques. And I heard that he just got retired last year or yeah, recently after 50 years of teaching. And that little town um, was a nice club, small club, but, but I, I get hooked the first day I joined. Even if I was shy, even, you know, all beginners never have the gi, they don't know what to do. They don't understand the words. Everything was Japanese words. You don't feel comfortable in shorts and t-shirt, but I remember that first day, but I, I say I'm coming back. And since that, I never quit. <laughs> so this actually tees up a question that came in from ZT. You seem so passionate and aware in karate. Was that immediate or did you learn that? You wow. said you were day one. No, I would say was there. Because like I said, since I was young, I was talking about martial arts and even I lie at school one day when I was in grade two, some girls were playing games and the boys were teasing and they asked me, can you do something to the boys? They stopped teasing us. And I say, don't do anything. I do karate. That was not true. I was just lying. And then one of the guys came and I pushed him, but he fell on the other guy that made him another guy fail. And then they say, oh, that's true. She does karate. That was a lie. But um, <laughs> but yeah, the first day I, I started the, the, the small club in the GTA, Shotokan, in Waterloo, Quebec, um, I really enjoyed that. And yes, I would say I was happy. So we hear this a lot on the show. It was true for most of us, all of us. Like, what what was it? Was it the smell? Was it the, 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 the classical order? When you think back, what made you go, I'm never leaving some version of this? Well, I think it's an affinity between your personality and what you want. If I be a dancer, I guess going in dance club will be like, wow, my passion. If I be, I don't know, uh, any other sports, skiing, I will be like, wow. But me, I was... Um, attracted by the game of fighting and also martial arts. You, you, you know, you, you dream about Japan, you dream about um, all what you see on TV, the, the, everything about Japan for me was kind of attractive, uh, make me dream to go there. Um, so I think it's, it's because my affinity of wanted to fight, wanted to learn a fighting sports plus karate, I was one plus one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you said something that I think I heard. Who you are with who you're going to be. Do you think people are born like you're born a martial artist or you're born a dancer? Oh, uh, mm, good questions. Uh, not really, but I think everybody should find a passion or a way to express me as a teenager, I think the fundamental reason why I joined a karate club is because I had a kind of, you know, when you're a teenager, you're shy or you don't know how to express your emotions. Sometimes you have anger. So I think it was the best place to express my emotion. And I'm a kind of kinesthetic person. So I need to move. I need to do something physically. Mm -hmm. Painting is fun, but... No, me was moving in a martial art and having that challenge. I always drew, I like the challenge of in the fight, you know, who's going to be first? Who, what is the opening 
what can I do? And on an instant moment decision, this is what attracts me about fighting and crabbing. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to go around the horn on that. I know, Sensei's, we've touched on it a little, but I want to start with you, Sensei uh, Suino. Are you born a martial artist or does it, you know, how does that work? I know a lot of the listeners will dig into this concept and want to hear our answers. Man, that's a tough one. I don't know if we're born a martial artist, but I believe we are born. I think certain things are destined or faded. And one of the things about the path in our lives is that we're there to try and figure out what those things are. Um, mm. I went, I've, I've talked about, you know, I went to a judo class at, in 1968 and within about eight seconds, I was hooked. Um, and here I am, you know, 54, 55 years later, still doing martial arts. Um, what if I had walked into a equestrian class and add that i don't know but the thing i can say is that ever since then right i've had opportunities to do a lot of other things mm -hmm. um and still doing martial arts so yeah i may be part of what we do you know maybe it's hocus pocus but i think part of what we do in life is try to figure out what we're born to do and mm -hmm. those of us on this call are lucky enough to have stumbled into something what do you think sense of legacy do you think you're born a martial artist or do you think you know I know that you're born. Um, I, mean, <laughs> Patricia, <laughs> uh, Yoda. I think Patricia, they say that the art chooses you. And if you're, because of the thousands and millions of people have done martial arts, that it chooses you. If you're a person who walks into a dojo and you're not right for it, it chews you up and spits you out back into the street, half the person you were when you came in. Patricia Borgard uh, walking along and a piece of paper flying into her hands, basically. She was chosen. She right. was definitely one of the chosen ones that maybe she was looking so hard but couldn't found it, couldn't find it. I think that martial arts literally reached out to her. I mean, if you saw her in a dojo, um, there isn't any aspect of karate that she doesn't want to get into want to fight yeah want to do karate yes want to talk about karate okay so uh, i'm not sure if you're born you're probably born to be several things but uh, i can't explain it other than i think martial arts chose us as opposed to us them or it would have found a way to get you out of the dojo and into the street if you're not good for the art. And I'm sure that there are a lot of things in there that the masters have put in to make sure that that happens. Thanks, Sanchi. Sensei Dofa? I don't know, I'll just ask why. Why Why did Matsumura come to martial arts? Why did Kenizawa Sensei come to martial arts? Why did Miyamoto Musashi come to martial arts? Um, and then the other thought I have in my mind is uh, Sensei Jean Frenette. He asked me the question on PKCC, hey, Randy, did you always like sushi? And I'm like, I always liked it. Well, why? Did you ever have sushi before? And I'm like, no, but I always knew I was going to like it. And when I ate it, I loved it. Um, so I don't, I don't know, Ben's like, I mean, there's things humans can't understand. You, uh, 
there's certain things we try and use words to define and explain it to ourselves. Um, but I do think all the people on this call, it's a calling. Um, as Sense of Legacy said, it's a calling. We were supposed to be here and we were supposed to be doing martial arts. Um, and I, I feel really blessed that, you know, as an 18 year old person, for 18 years, I had to navigate a lot of things to find my way into a dojo. A lot of things like my mom <laughs> saying no. And uh, listen, I, I don't want to take this in a different direction, but the person who brought me to the University of Western Ontario just died this week while I'm here. He just passed away. One of my football coaches who brought me to Western, which is where I met Sense of Legacy. And that was supposed to happen. I was supposed to meet that football coach. I was supposed to do that stuff. He was supposed to bring me to Western. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know, destiny, passion, drive, whatever. I always wanted to do martial arts. I can't remember a time as a little kid, not wanting to do martial arts. Sensei Lacey used to hit a heavy bag with his brother before most people knew what martial arts was. Like, I don't know. It's just weird. Like, um, I don't know if I answered your question, but those are, I've just vomited out to you all the thoughts I had based on what we've been talking about. <laughs> no, it's, it's a beautiful chat. And, and I do want to chip in really quickly. First off, I want to steal a bit of Sensei Beauregard's idea. Like, I think it takes a lot of who we are and then it sort of has the carrot of who it can make us. You know, like if I think about myself, when I came into martial arts, I was a hundred percent an artist. That part I got covered and I was always rough and tumble as a kid. But the martial part, I'm still chasing. Sensei Dofan, we talked about this, like the, the actual killer. And that's something where some people come in with the killer and they need more of the artist. But I think when something blends hugely with who you are, and then there's a big piece of who you aren't, it becomes a marriage made in heaven because we got to be challenged and grow. But the last thing I want to say, Eckhart Tolle says this, and I'm a big fan of it. We were all destined to be martial artists because we are. The sheer, like, it's a bit of what you said, Sensei Dolphin. The fact that we're here as martial artists proves it. There's no other proof required. We were destined to because it happened. Um, Sensei Beauregard, let's jump back in time. You're young. You found this place. You know you're not leaving. Tell us about your next while there and what led you through to, you know, becoming a shodan under your, your, your vaunted sensei and, and so on and so forth. Break it open and we'll chip in with questions. Hey, so like I said, I started in a small club in a school gym with uh, my first sensei, Jean-Guy Jacques, in uh, Shotokan Karate, um, GK, sorry. And then for college, I moved to another town called Saint-Hyacinthe. So I changed uh, style, but it's still Shotokan, but I was with the Shotokan Karate International mm -hmm. Federation, SKIF. And my sensei was Robert Plot. Um, well, I was older, so different different training and there had the opportunity to train six days a week and even seven days a week. Uh, that was like my second house, second home, uh, train a lot. And with these people, these people were going to Japan often. So my dream came true. Uh, I went in Japan with them in 1988 for a tournament and visiting and see everything, see the the Kodokan Dojo and all the, the people that were trained in Kanazawa. Um, and I received my black belt there. So I passed my exam before, but I received my, my black belt there. Um, was 
good people. I started to do a lots of tournament with them, lots of provincial and a big circuit, traveling all around Quebec. And then I get selected on the team, Quebec team. And then I went to the national with them. And then there was the circle of train, compete, train, compete, train, compete. So karate was my big things on my schedule agenda. And then I had school and job, school and job, but karate was the big uh, highlight things on my agenda. Um, great people, good, yeah, good time. It was a good time training there. Uh, and then we, um, that sensei decided to be a little bit less in the politics because there's lots of politics and federations and associations. So he wanted to do a karate sportive, karate sportive. He started a kind of associate, he started an association with that. Uh, was still fun. I still did tournament, but um, well, I, I trained in different dojo at that time. So I was visiting lots of people in Montreal just to, and it, it was fine too. That's one of good thing to go train with other people, make you better. So, um, so I trained at, at the university with different people, different style, different dojo. And then, uh, and then I moved in uh, St. Thomas. And I joined the Legacy Sean Ryu when I moved here. And in St. Thomas, my I was happy because I feel the same that in Quebec. It was the same kind of dojo friendship, people, smart, uh, respectful, uh, training hard. And big dojo was big when I, I joined at the YWCA. Lots of people lining up in the grading. Lots of people were training during the week. So I was amazed and I was so happy to find a place where I feel comfortable and like home again. So um, that so was, what, yeah. I just want to back up a fair bit before you get there because we're, we got a couple of things you said that we don't want to gloss over. The first thing I want to get to is you talked about when you went from Jean-Guy-Jacques to, Jacques -Jacques to the next training, how different it was. What was the difference? Because it sounds like it was a big jump forward for you and you jumped to a place where you're training six days a week. And I want you to talk a little bit about that because I know there's a lot of people who have jobs, who have studies, who have reasons that aren't excuses more like it, that they can't train as much as you were training. So what I want to ask you is what was different that made you commit more fully? But like at my first dojo was like twice a week typical uh, schedule and I was young so I was in elementary secondary school so when I moved to college I was by myself in the new town so yes studying I was in the new town in St. Saint for the study but the dojo was a place where I feel comfortable where mm -hmm. I feel like wow I can be surrounded by people I feel whatever I feel safe I feel happy and these people were really dedicated to karate uh, like I said, uh, many of these karateka were passing six months, two months, three months in Japan, and they were coming back and they were training as a team and they were training hard. They were representing their style. So when I jumped in, I was just happy to discover that place. And at the college, you still have some times off in your week. So my time off was for karate. And the sensei there, Robert Flo, Robert Flo, um, um, hire me to teach the kids and also they, he put me in the city because he was in the city system for the sports um, like many big city has a sports uh, 
spectrum for any kind of sports, but karate was in that with the, for the city. So I was teaching for him every day at different uh, neighborhood, different schools. So that was uh, my first experience teaching. I was a brown belt teaching kids, beginners, but I enjoyed that. So I was happy to, to teach two, two hours in a row in one club and the next day, two hours to another um, um, school. So, and after my teaching two hours, I was back to the main dojo and training with the, the collar belts and the black belt. So, yeah, yeah. Sounds like an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, so speaking of another incredible experience, I want to throw this to Sensei Dofa to uh, run with this question. So, uh, Borger Sensei, one thing I want to say is uh, Sensei Copeland's on the call and he said, you know, your first experience, it reminds me of the old days. She was all, she was awesome in Italy in 2000, WKO. That's what Sensei Copeland has to say. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you, that he sent that in. He's on the call and he's watching. Um, for me, you know, I didn't know that you got your black belt in Japan under Kanazawa Sensei, which I'm even more jealous of you now than I was before the call. Because um, a, a real strong image in my mind is Kanazawa Sensei and Nishiyama Sensei fighting each other. Like you, there's Sensei, he gave me a book and the two of them are standing there and they're just ripped. And you can just tell you don't want to be in the middle of these two human beings. And, you know, uh, Sensei Benson trained with Nishiyama and we get to go there and be in his dojo. I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about Kanazawa Sensei, like first time you saw him, what did he look like? Did you talk to him? What was your black belt grading like? Like any of these things that you want to share with the world about that experience would be awesome. I'd love to hear it. Well, uh, it's a Kanazawa Sensei for me too was like the great master had his book and uh, he, he draw even his name because he was always drawing his name as a mountain uh, in the dojo where we were training in Saint Saint. Um, he came to give us a few seminars. I think every year was coming to teach us every one year or every two years uh, teaching seminar. Uh, the only thing back back then was women's and men's were not, you know, in the grading, no fighting together. Like women's on the side, men's on the other side. But for me, I was concerned like, why, why? You know? But anyway, I understand. Let me at him. So it was a great man teaching lesson. I liked the way he was talking, very calm, very, for a guy who did TV show, for a guy that I know that he was the only guy breaking planks and asking, which one do you want me to break? You know, that's kind of energy that I can't even figure out he, he was doing that. Um, so he was a great martial artist. Um, um, I remember in Mexico, for a tournament, <clears throat> he was there with his son and he did a demonstration. Still at that time, he was over 60, I guess. And he jumped over his son and he did a kick, but he hit him in the nose and he break his son's nose. <laughs> and he was so mad, so mad because, and, and people were asking, what happens? He was blind by the lights. So he said that he missed the control because it was flying by the we were like in the hotel and the the whole the lights were on him um so that but 
to see him jumping over his son, doing a nice demo, kicking, and that was amazing. But um, also in one of our seminar, he was talking about breathing, lots of breathing, because in Shodhagan Karate International, when you finish, you always open your chest, push behind and come back in the front with your hands. Just doing that, I remember doing a full seminar at the end of the week, my rib cage was more tight and most just by the breathing technique he was saying. And he was explaining that his own son was always, you know, rolling back and he forced him to do the breathing and now he stands straight. And so I, I like the way that he was teaching for good things, lesson, philosophy. Um, yeah, it was just, just listening. We were eating his thoughts. So that was amazing. And um, I passed my first black belt in Belleville at Dozono Sensei Dojo, and he came. So we were a group of people from Quebec and from Ontario at the one spot. So he came, we passed the grading. We had that test, the control test. I think that was my biggest fear because my biggest um, obstacle is control. <laughs> and uh, they do the, the pen test, you know, they, they put a cap on the, the pens and they do this at different distance and you have to punch and real punch, not just pretend to punch without making the cats flying. So that was my fear, but um, that was, was, was good. So we, we, we had to do kata and we had to do some um, bon kumite and ju kumite, uh, like, like we did the self-defense before. So it was, was, was fun. So that was my first degree back then. And then I went in Japan for a tournament and I received my, I think it's there, yeah. My black, my first black belt is, it's here. I can show you. It's not too, uh, oh my God. Because it's all fading out. I wear it so much. I don't know if it's attached, but it's all fading out and all the fabrics, it's falling, but it's, it's, um, how do you say, let's see. How do you say, uh, brothery. It's all brothery from, uh, from Japan. So it was for me, Wow, something that I, I was so happy and proud to, to earn, to earn. Yeah, and my second degree, I passed it uh, in saint Saint. So he came in Quebec for a couple of people to, to pass the, 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 the test with Kanazawa. So I just did two done with him, but uh, because after that I moved away, but it was, was great to, to see him, to, to have him teaching us to, yeah, he's a nice person. He was a nice person, fit and calm. And, you know, you, when he was going in a room, you can see and feel his energy. So it was a, it was, it was a great master. What were the tests like for Grand Sensei? What were your tests like? Like, what did he make you do? Kata, Kumite? Uh, we, we, we did some the basics, too. We did some basics uh, based on our level. So getting higher rank, the, the, it's more like combination techniques. And then, yes, I had to do kata. And then we had to do jukumite. For Black Band and Over, it's jukumite. Um, but the jukumite at that level, you don't know what your opponent's gonna do. But it's like a code codifications of technique. So if it's a punch to the face, you have five different ways to do your basics. And but you don't know what the opponent's gonna do. It might be a kick, but what you do, bing bang, or it might be a punch in the face. So you had to react and do the proper 
block in the proper technique uh, with the proper distance and proper control, of course. So that was part of the test and fighting. Yeah, and the pen, the control pen things. <laughs> Thank you so much for that answer. That was great. You're welcome. Yeah. Just in case anybody watching doesn't realize it, you know, Kanazawa trained with uh, Nakayama, but also with Funakoshi himself. And uh, so he's training with the founder of the JKA and the founder of Shotokan itself. So that's the lineage we're sitting here talking with. And I always love the idea. I just looked it up was that, uh, you know, he's born in 1933, I believe. And that's how far we go back that like that you're, you're the person who graded you. We have that lineage. And that's why I love doing this show so much. I mean, we'll be chatting in 10 years and that lineage will that your direct lineage, not to like too removed. We'll go back a hundred years at that point. I just love this show for that reason, because I don't take for granted the gift of not just our guests, but who our guests have directly either trained with or, or, or been recognized by. Um, one quick question, and we will go around the horn, but we won't take forever on it because we do want to get to the 10 questions. Let's talk about control. We're doing an art where you're supposed to be breaking every bone you hit. Like you said beautifully, I wrote it down, you know, you're a train and you can't stop the train, you know. Um, so why does control matter then? Oh, my God. Good questions. Well, I guess control is to prove that you know what you're doing. You're not just pitching things. And if you can control at different distance, you really matrix, I don't know how to say, mastering what you're doing. When if you can control at any distance with the same strength or same power, that means you really, for me, you're really mastering your art or your techniques. Um, so I guess for myself, sometimes not having the control because my emotion was over it and where I just wanted to get there. And uh, yeah, that was my biggest things to learn, control, yeah. Sensei Dolphin, why does control matter? We're trying to break everything we hit. Why does control matter? Man, that could be just an entire show, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I remember lots of times, like uh, Borgard Sensei is talking about that. I remember Sensei Legacy saying to me, you have to put equipment back on because you're hurting too many people. Your control sucks and you have to put stuff on your hands and feet because you're hurting people. Uh, you know, control, when I fought with Sense Legacy for a few decades, every Saturday morning, he had super control. Like, I mean, he hit me with a jump spinning wheel kick once on the jaw that just like went on the tip of my chin. Like, and if you can have that level of control, when people say, oh, if you, if you pull all your techniques, you're going to pull your technique in the street fight. Well, okay. Let's go, right? If I can touch you on the tip of the chin, I can touch the back of your skull too, right? I have the control to do that as well. Um, again, I'm vomiting out just a lot of random thoughts about control and just ideas. Um, but I do think that control allows you to just fight longer, do more. You know, if somebody says Hajime and you just drive the person in the face, that's the end of it right? It's the end of it. You want to be able to control control it so you can train longer, train faster. If you can throw it hard and fast controlled, I don't know. Since Suino and I just did some Ippon Kumite last night and Shimizu Sensei's dojo, and I don't know, it was pretty controlled. 
I, the other thing is you need to know who your opponent is, right? You need to control. If it's like some white belt who's just first day in the dojo, you need to be about a foot away from their face. But if I'm like training with Sweeno Sensei, like I was last night, yeah, like, I mean, I touched him on the eyebrow with a couple of roundhouse kicks and, you know, tapped him in the body with some reverse punches and he did the same back to me. Sense of legacy, why is control important? Because you can hit what you want, whatever you want, at whatever amount of power you want. Because um, you got some smart ass kid who wants to beat a 70, 77 year old guy up. He's pissed off because of his um, of a parking spot or something. You know, you can just sidestep him and slap him in the ass or something. I mean, I I. During my time, I, I've actually told guys, you know, if you don't go away, I'm going to pull your pants down in front of everybody and give you a spanking. And, and this is like a full-grown man, about 40 years old. He looked at me, and I just stood there and looked at him and waited. He turned around and walked away. Okay. Now, if there's a guy standing there with a knife, and you have good control, you are sure of yourself. You know. You know karate. And so that same nerve that made you control yourself, you have that same nerve and that same accuracy to kill the other guy. So it's all in your mind. If people who can't control karate are not martial artists. Mm. They're like a friend of mine just said in a little bit of an ad you put on Facebook. You're playing with crayons. You're not an artist. And you're not deadly. Thanks, Hanchi. Sensei Suino, why does control matter? I love how Hanchi uh, equated the uh, um, control, physical control with mental control. That's a really key idea. Um, I'll go in a little bit different direction. I think developing control is part of your learning process. And it's how you keep your training partners safe. So you can train for a long time with a lot of different people over years and years and years, whether it's judo, karate or anything else, you're not going to get as good as you need to get without good training partners. And if you both go full on all the time, you can have very short half life. So by developing control, you're not only tuning your technique over time, but you're giving yourself and your training partners time to develop. It's part of the process. You know, I love that you say that I was doing some osteo because I had a hyperextended elbow from a blue belt who is talented enough to, in drilling, throw on a real fast armbar, but not talented enough to control it. And so the hyperextension, I'm now dealing with a tendon thing. It is what it is. I don't care. But it's exactly what you're saying is if, if we all train like that, no one's there in three weeks. And if we are, we're not actually fit enough to train to our max. I really love the way the perspective you brought. And the one thing I just want to add, you know, you said controlling the mind, but Sensei Beauregard, you touched on controlling your emotion. I had so much rage in my 20s. I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know why. And I hadn't been to any kind of therapy yet. But because of martial arts and the Zen path, I was able to, you know, only ever kick like street lamps in that kind of rage, uh, not training partners or strangers and put myself in a possibly bad situation. So Sensei Beauregard, it's time for your 10 questions. Sensei Legacy put his finger up. I just wanted to... Pardon me, I missed that. Hanchi Legacy, what did you want to add? I just think we passed something really important that 
it's got my heart pounding. Patricia, did Sensei Kanazawa ever say anything about Funakoshi? Not I, not, no, not I recall, no. Oh, no. Okay. Thank you. Great question, though. Thanks, Hanchi. Sensei Beauregard, we ask that you answer as impulsively as you can, but then feel free to expand on your answer. Okay. <clears throat> what is the most effective move in your martial arts arsenal? Me? Yakuzuki. Yeah, <laughs> Go no sen, sen no sen, kage no sen, whatever sen, yakuzuki. <laughs> Who is the most influential martial artist in your life? Tough question because, like I said, I had a kind of, I, I have the opportunity to have lots of great people around me. So I'm back with my first sensei, Jean Guijard, who hooked me up, my second sensei, Robert Flo who was teaching me to be a karateka outside the dojo and Sensei Legacy, who taught me a totally new way of seeing karate from karate do to karate jitsu and make my karate more practical, realistic, efficient. So all these people are for me, um, my influence. Thanks Sensei. Who is the most influential martial artist of all time, do you think, and why? I was thinking of that question, and um, I think it's Machimura, because he is style origin, many other style. And back in time, there's no TikTok, there's no video, there's no whatever. If, we, if what he did, we still practice now, and other people are using that as their science, and. It was well-respected, it was uh, well-known, so I guess Matsumura is the greatest of all. Thanks, Sensei. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get there? I hope he would say, welcome, you're at the right place. <laughs> <laughs> um, what excites you most about the next five years of your training? Still training. Still learn, still practice, still teach. With I teach kids and I love it. Still teach and still train with passion, with good people and good friendship people. Um, do you have a favorite film and television martial artist, whether they're real martial artists or not? Favorite was really, it's, it's hard because like I said, I was watching lots of uh, fight movie with my dad, comedy movie, whatever. But I remember in my early adult, we, we were joking a lot about Chuck Norris. So Chuck Norris was able to do everything. You know, we were saying, oh, Chuck Norris will do this. or oh, Chuck Norris will be able to do that. So I guess Chuck Norris came in my mind, but it, I would say just because I heard a lot. And I just saw a video of him. He's 80 years old and he's still trained. So Chuck Norris is a good martial art. Right on. Sure. Chuck Norris, come on, punch, kick, choke, chat. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, hashtag Chuck Norris. Is there a martial artist in all of history, living or dead, you'd want to train with the most? Well, um, I'm really impressed about people who can not only punch and kick, but also give a legacy, have a good thoughts, uh, 
say things that we still can use as kind of philosophy things. So I would say there's lots of people, but Matt summarized the first one. And yeah, Bruce Lee is another good one that he was saying smart things and uh, that, yeah, yeah, these two guys, yeah. Um, if everyone in the world could have the greatest benefit you've gotten from martial arts, whether they train or not, what benefit would they be getting? Uh, I guess resilience. Resilience. Um, yeah, I, 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 come, I talk with my moms every week and uh, I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to be interviewed for karate. And she said, oh my God, you did so many sacrifices in your life with that. So she knows the way and the path that I had. And yes, resilience and also training with passion. I'm not a person who had good memory with dates and people, and that, but I have good memory of my feeling, the feeling I had, because I, I it's, it's a passion, yeah. And our last two questions come as a pair, your greatest achievement and your greatest regret. Greatest achievement, it's not like one day, one, I have, you know, I have medals and trophies. Sometimes I don't even recall where did I get that. But I think my greatest achievement is all these years, still being there, still trained, still happy to learn. Um, after all the sacrifice, and when I say sacrifice, I'm not joking. No? Um, just an example, I've been in the army in 19... 90 and I was on the national team. I was in Quebec and had to go train in Montreal. I have no place to stay. I was sleeping in my car to do the, the team training, go back in Val Cartier. I did that every weekend for seven, seven or 10 weeks. Nobody knew that I was sleeping in my car. So that's one thing that I did just to be able to train and do my karate. So many sacrifices. When I start karate, my parents didn't drive me every week to the town because I'm from a country. From outside, so in fam, so I'm outside the city, and sometimes I have no rides, so I did thumbs up on the side of the road at 15 year old getting rides, mm, scary rides sometimes, just to go to karate. I even walked 10 k's to go to the karate and coming back home. So so many sacrifices. I would say my greatest achievement is being here talking with you because I did a lot of sacrifice to 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 do to do karate. To, to keep training and training. Greatest regret. Wow, the the, the regret is, uh, I guess I'm getting older. So being older, you can look back sometimes and have good times. You know, my twenties, mid of twenties was my best in karate. I was doing tournament, I was winning, everything was fine. Karate was the, the, the in my agenda, the biggest time in my week. But I didn't appreciate enough those moments. Mm. And now where that's behind me, I don't have the same skills. I don't have the same uh, shape and body. And I'm facing some, you know, I would say health issue because I'm having arthritis and in my joint. And it's not easy every day, but uh, I, I regret to not appreciate those moments. And makes me think we always have to appreciate the moment now. That's why I tattoo Zen on my arm because what is important is now. So I appreciate the moment because I regret to not know that when I was young or younger. I love that. I tell my students, I say, these are the glory days of karate. And mm -hmm. in five years, I'll tell it to them again. 
you're here on the mat. These are the glory days. We can't be in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. These are the glory days today. Um, Sensei, Sensei Dolphin said this in his introduction, that as well as you can know someone because you see them all the time, I don't want to take for granted that we know you better than we do. I had no idea you were in the Army in 1990. And I want you to tell us, so you go and, you know, 1988, you're getting those black belts. You're starting to compete a lot more. So break down more of your story throughout that timeline before you got to St. Thomas in London, because you got there pretty quick when you told us about it. And I think you left out some pretty interesting things. Talk about your competitions, some memorable moments, you know, winning versus losing. Talk about that service in the military. This is a pretty great story you have, and I want to make sure we hear it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> when I start, uh, we had a good circuit in Quebec, like the provincial tournament and uh, regional, provincial and then national. So I start to do all these tournaments. It's big. There's lots of hundreds and hundreds participants. And I start to enjoy that. Uh, so give me like the, we say in French, that means I want to go again. Uh, the tournament, uh, going in the, the other town, the other dojo, these people were training harder and they were doing a lot of competition so I followed them and uh yes with the SKIF and the style we had like the world and I did the world I did world in Japan I did world in Mexico I did world Shotokan um I did tournaments in US but also parallel to that I was on the national team with the NKA National Karate Association in Canada so I was also doing all the nationals and all the team selections and um and when you get like the top at that time was not as it is now, but now it's more difficult to be on the team. But at that time, like being in the top 10, you were able to travel. So I, I've been in a women's world cup, women's world in France. I did, uh, oh my God. I did, yeah, France twice. and even did the world cup in France and we were Canadian. And we, they let us participate. I even win the third place in the World Cup France representing Canada. That was interesting. We have our Pan Am Games. Um, so, and I even been uh, on the Canadian Olympic Committee or CUC now uh, for a karate representative. So that was interesting. That's a long time ago. That's way before the karate became an Olympic sport for one year. But uh, in the preparation for that, there were having a, lots of uh, representatives. So I'm, I'm glad I did that. I represent the athletes on that uh, association. Uh, tournament, tournament. I lost more tournament than I win. <laughs> so, <laughs> But that's the path that? to win. I think, you know, we're not going to go around the horn on this, but how important was that for you? And what did it do for your martial arts to lose? It makes me think what works, what didn't work, and why. And what I have to do to, and what I have to change. So, um, yeah, I think losing is important. We have to learn how to lose. <laughs> yeah. And am I wrong or were you a semi-professional bodybuilder as well? Uh, I was weightlifting, not bodybuilder, but weightlifting. I did weightlifting on the national lever level, yeah. And uh, how how did that feather in with your martial arts, or did your did your mindset from martial that's arts? Or was it separate? That was separate, but people knew that I was doing two sports. And in karate, when I was training, I was 
sometimes it ain't hard to people. And they were saying, stop doing your musculation because you hit too hard. But for me, the, the weightlifting, it's, it's, it's very nice because it's explosive. You know, you have to throw the bar over your head in fractions of seconds. So it's good for explosivity training. So for me, it was great. So it helped me, uh, helped me to be faster. And then did you start coaching uh, during that time or did you coach after you moved to Ontario? After, I, I still, um, when I moved here, I still represent uh, Ontario in the national level. I uh, forget which year, but I think, um, wow, because my son is almost 19 years. So my last coaching as a national coach was in 2002. Yeah, so I, I was lucky to, to be invited as a coach because I'm also a kinesiologue. So they wanted at that time somebody who had the kind of level three NCCP national certification. And uh, I had a coach junior team and one year coach senior team. So I went in uh, Salvador with the team. I went in Spain with the team and I did the Panam in BC with the team. So it was, was fun, it was fun, it was, yeah. Good experience. Were you, were you competing at the same time or had you softened on your competing? No, I was kind of stopping. Yeah. How did you find that transition? For me, it was great because I stopped competing, but I was coaching. So I'm still in the environment surrounded by these people who really wants to, you know, dedicate their times for winning and representing their province or their country. So for me, I, it was good. Just stopping and doing nothing else, I think I would be depressed. But because I had the chance to, to work and still be around, and that was good. Yeah, it was a good transition for me. Yeah. I bet the, the, the athletes were pretty lucky too. Um, from Sensei Maletsky, Patricia San, how long were you part of our Karate Ontario coaching staff? N not very long because uh, Sensei Maletsky probably recalled during a national, they were... Uh, they were betting or like we like we vote or they they select one of the coach uh you had brad jones on your show and brad jones was one of the other coach who apply but i get the job sorry for him but after he was my coach so that that's funny we we're all helping each other so i didn't coach for very long i coached for what two three years because i get pregnant and i had my son and then i was away uh the the, the, the international tournament yeah right on well congrats on being a mother and a martial artist at the at the international level but i want to now jump to moving to ontario and i want to go back to something you said and i would ask you this question even if he wasn't on the call but you said hanchi legacy changed the way you think about martial arts and the way you picture you, I, I wrote it down a new way of seeing karate mm -hmm. um what was that what was the difference and and what excited you about it Okay, but, but what, well, in the way we train, everything was great too in my past and before, but it was like karate door, everybody, big, long step, everybody in the same time, everybody lining up, everybody was great. That's the way I learned it. That's the way I was practicing. That's the way, and fighting became like a totally different way because we were doing all the basics like karate do, and suddenly we had to fight and fight and get adapted to the new world because I saw the change. I remember being in Japan, it was like one shot, punch, that's it. And suddenly we saw the people from France, from England, 
doing oh, sports stuff, style, athletic. And, and then, we, oh, my goodness, my karate, though, it's tough in that. So um, when I arrived in St. Thomas, he was talking about more like striking instead of blocking. I never thought about that. And the way we block, it's not like again in Barai, it's not this the block. It's the first move is the block. The preparation is the block. And then it's a strike. I never thought about that. So everything became okay. And I like striking. So, okay. <laughs> now I can see, can see all my techniques became more realistic, more um, practical. Mm. Yeah. And then how did that change your fighting? Or did it? Well, yes, I, I because I know what I can do. And I know our dangerous it can be if I don't want to say deadly but dangerous it can be using these techniques yeah so that yeah <laughs> um I want to ask you a question you, you know you, you're competing this year in a tournament yes you just competed I was at the tournament years ago you know where I'm going with this yeah where you're I hear a pop Oh my God, yes. I still have the video. I don't watch it. But yeah, we heard a pop and I heard a pop. And when I heard the pop, honestly, I thought somebody blow a bag, a paper bag, and it pow. Yeah, I did too. I, I look in the back and that was my leg. I didn't know at that time. I was like, what's going on? And suddenly I realized that I can't control my leg. I can't even walk on it. So I'm like, oh my God, now I knew it's me. And when I realized it's me, I knew what it was. And I said, oh, no, oh, no, no, because I knew that will be a long recovery and bad moment. And yes, so it was a not a fun experience. So tell our audience, what I was. I ran over to that ring and I saw your face right when you said, oh, no. What, what was the injury? Um, my Achilles, totally tear. Tear. yeah just snap the, 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 oh yeah you can see the muscle going up and the tendon down and oh yeah <laughs> i was in the corner referee and i could feel it on the floor like i could feel pop was minor earthquake um so the reason i bring that up since Beauregard, aside from you know just letting people know that when you're in there fighting, as Hanchi likes to always says, you get roughed up. And sometimes the, the dynamic tension on your own body can be, be a lot. Um, but here you are competing and you're not 20 years old. So I want you to talk a bit about your recovery and how you then still go. And now I'm going to be back doing it. It would not have been unreasonable for you to say, I'm going to keep doing karate, but I'm not going to keep competing. Oh, I think it's just personal. It's me. I wanted to go back in shape and uh, say I can do one more tournament. So I did like before the pandemic at uh, Sensei Copeland's uh, Windsor. And I wanted to do that again this year because after pandemic, yes, okay, I trained for that. I think I trained for that. So I thought I was ready for fighting in, in, in tournament. But also I have in the back of my mind, oh, my division is older. So before the pandemic, Windsor, I forgot the dates, all right, I'm really, I'm not good with dates, but I was in my age division. So I feel comfortable in my age division. This year, when they decide to combine three divisions in one, 
I remember saying to the guy, are you serious? I'm going to fight with these 18-year-old girl? And they say, oh, that's what's on my paper. We're going to do that. And <laughs> the funny thing is that volunteer guy from the dojo of Sensei Copeland, um, because I told him directly when he said, oh, you this division, I forget the number, 55, BB55, you're with this and them and them. I said, no, seriously, you're not doing that. I'm older, you know, do you know how old I am? The guy laughed. But after I fought, he came to me and said, you had no problems to be in that division. Um, I know you don't either. How um, how long did the recovery take? For the for the Hercules? Yeah. I have three months to, to wear a boot. Three months. Yeah. yeah. 12 weeks. And then I had to start back. My muscle never came back. I would say I'm 75%. My strength came back at 75%. Yep. I, I, yeah, if I go in the gym and I do like a press, um, I can see the difference with my leg. Yeah, yeah. And so what would you say to anyone who's going through an injury or who hasn't had one yet about that? Because it is a tough thing we do. It is a tough thing, but I, um, wow, I, I just saw my, my son's friends, he's a football player and he got also a breaking in. I, 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 being in sports, it, it's not part of it, but Yes, it is part of it. You, you're going to face injury. Uh, good luck if you never had, but it can be spraining something or failing a, a rib, but it, we all ask to face an injury. Some are bad. I think mine was bad because it's a long recovery, but um, do what you have to do, like do physio, do, do training and make sure you take care. Uh, yeah, I re- yeah. Take, take care of yourself, do the training, come back, come back. You know, it will come back. People are back. Uh, basketball players are back after an Achilles um, tear. Um, so, yeah, it takes time. Don't get discouraged. Still train, still do something. Be physical active and be uh, mentally active. Too. So, yeah. Um, since the Beauregard, we're going to go around the horn shortly, and then the last word will go to you. But is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to talk about before we get to that part of the show? Well, no, I'm, I'd, I'd like the way we did, you know, we were talking about uh, fighting techniques, perspective, the way we saw it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad and I'm thankful for uh, being a part of the show with you guys. Great. And so, I, yeah, I, I have uh, also in my mind something since Sweeney said last, last banquet, I'm not a quitter. So that was on my paper. I'm not a quitter. Greatest achievement. I'm not a quitter. <laughs> All right. Um, before we go around the horn, I just want to say thank you to Robert Shlumsky, Justin Shea, Andre Sadashev, Alden Adair, Jesse Valet Vitao, Sidney Dauphin is with us tonight, Josh Kitchens, Christiana Landel, Daniel J. Holland, Trudy Guliani, and Stavros Tavrulius. They run the show behind the scenes. We don't have anything without them. Um, we have a surprise for you next week. Please stay tuned to our website because our website is where you're going to get all the information. It's where you're going to get all our past episodes. It's where you're going to get uh, just the, the the general big picture of this show where you can find us on social media. And we do have a change in the schedule for next week. So that's why we're excited to reveal it to you when we know what the change is. So go to that website. Keep checking it. Share it with your friends. Hanchi Legacy, what do you want to say about our time tonight with Sensei Beauregard? Yeah. She's like that all the time, all the time. She's, um, I remember one time at a dojo, I walked over to her and I said, 
told her I loved her, you know? And it was just through martial arts. She was such a good martial artist. You couldn't help but get that feeling from her, you know? And she's still in a dojo, still, still does the same thing. She's like a role model. She's like, to me, she's one of the people I look up to. And that's all I'm gonna say. Thank you for coming on tonight, Trisha. I'll see you uh, Saturday at the dojo. Absolutely, yes. Well, thanks everyone. Thanks everyone for being there, listening to me. Uh, thank you for your patience with my accent. I have the accent of uh, Georges Saint-Pierre, but um, I hope you understand me. Um, and uh, I'm, like I said, I'm really honored to be part of that show. And uh, yes, I remember the day you told me that we were, we get emotional the day you said, I love you. And I'm like, oh my God, wow, this is like big. But that the sensei say that and uh, recognize you as the person. So thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone, because everyone is part of who I am now. So thank you, thank you for all of you guys. Um, first off, hashtag GSP. So him and Chuck Norris now got to be on the show. Second, <laughs> I don't think you, uh, I don't know, you, you're not off the hook that quickly. We got to say more nice things to you and about you. Sensei Suino, what do you want to say about our time with Sensei Beauregard? I have a few nice things, uh, you know, and I think sometimes Sensei Beauregard, you need to hear things from an outside point of view. You're so, you know, one, we're, we're so in it. You know, you talked about your love of striking, the fact that you train uh, like you. I show up at the dojo and I'm just me trying to get better. Right. Um, but it just always it from the first time I met you, um, it just shines off of you that you you love what we do. You love to compete. You love to coach, teach. Uh, the way you interact with people, there's kind of a light around you. And I don't know if you realize at this stage that um, how much of a role model you are, uh, an inspiration to others and a leader. And, uh, you know, I, I just want you to know uh, that uh, we we see we see you and uh, uh, you're a blessing in our in all of our lives. Thanks, Sensei Suido, Sensei Dolphin. At the beginning, we talked about the whole, I learned something about circles and lines based on what we talked about and circles for defense. And it was great to learn that from Beauregard Sensei. Um, things in common, right? Your dad said, you're never going to do this. My mom said to me, you're never going to do this. And here we are, right? Your mom or my mom and your dad are probably up there saying those two, like, Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> right so um i i talk about all the time like chance moments in martial arts the fact that a flying piece of paper you grabbed a flying piece of paper that was a flyer for karate and that's what if that's not a chance moment i don't know what is that's like nature and whatever like contributing to get you here um hooked first day i was hooked first day uh I like that you said karate was the best way for you to express your emotion. Um, and also that you said you were curious about who's going to be first. It's usually you, by the way. You know, receiving, I'm probably like a few kilometers away from where, right now I'm probably a few kilometers away from where you received your shodan. 
with Kenizawa sensei. Um, I just think that's so cool. I liked what you talked about the breathing that he made you do breathing. And I, that made me think about, uh, you know, George Brito and BJJ. I've done seminars since Benson's BJJ teacher makes us breathe for a long time. And, uh, even last night, how do we end class since the Sfino? Shimizu Sensei made us do a bunch of breathing um, with uh, Kata Shunshin, right? So we had to do a lot of breathing. Um, I was not surprised when you said a reverse punch was your most effective technique. I was not surprised at all. <laughs> I liked all the nice stuff you said about Matsumura. I agree. Um, you know, you talked about Chuck Norris. And uh, when I flew to Japan a few days ago, I watched Enter the Dragon, that whole era. Like, I just, I just like that. Um, resilience. Yes. The greatest benefit, being resilient. We just talked about it. your Achilles tendon. That would be a good reason for anybody to just say, ah, I'm not going to do this anymore. But yet you didn't. Um, don't take things for granted. Biggest regret. I just was talking to Suno Sensei about that. Um, talking about my earliest relationships with people and just taking things for granted in the beginning. Right. Um, what did I write? Uh, I put a note in the group chat since Beauregard and said, you know, this show is largely for white dudes who talk about martial arts a lot. And we have a lot of other white dudes come on and I want everybody to know we're always talking about trying to get more diversity because we know there's more diversity and You've been right here under our nose the entire time. And here you are. And so grateful to have you on. I like that you said, I know what I can do. Um, I'm also super proud that a person like you, a highly skilled person, I think it validates Legacy Sharon or Karate Jitsu that you would join and stay with us. Um, I think it validates what we do. You, not you, the lady, you, the martial artist, right? Um, I want you to know I'm really proud to have seen your kids from the time they were little kids grow up and be great, great young men. Like, it's nice to see them. I'm really always proud of that. And I'm proud that you've seen my kids uh, grow up. And I also want you to know just something that when you fought at the Windsor Open, my daughter came to me and she was like, Dad, what I got to fight since the What am I... What if I have to fight her? And I was in my mind, I was like, you're gonna lose, <laughs> right? Like I didn't know what to say, right? I was like, you're gonna lose. And I want you to know that uh, I wanted you to win that tournament. I wanted you to win that tournament more than I wanted my daughter to win that tournament. That's why I, you're not supposed to coach at Sensei Copeland's tournament, but I couldn't not be standing outside the ring and being punch her in the body. Don't punch that punch her in the body. Like, <laughs> I really wanted you to win that tournament because uh, we're the same. We're in the same dojo. We have the same sensei. We do the same stuff, same mud, same blood. Um, yeah, I'm really proud to be standing next to you in Legacy Shore and Karate Jitsu. And thank you for coming on the show. Well, again, thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, like I'm keeping good moments with this show, uh, good memories. And I'm really, really, really honored. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sensei. And I just want to add the reverse punch, of course, the resilience. Um, also, just the humility. I mean, 
for everybody listening twice, she was the NKA female athlete of the year, the National Karate Association. And, you know, I, you, you were more interested in getting to when you met your next sensei than talking about your own achievements, which I'm not surprised by. Um, when you have that many achievements, they become almost, you almost take them for granted, but you only have so many teachers. So I get it, but there's a humility and a joy there. And I always love seeing you at the dojo. I consider you family and, uh, and you are. And so I can't wait to see you really soon too. And it's just such a pleasure to have you here. So you've thanked us three times. You've been honored more than that, but is there anything you want to say before you go? Well, um, again, this is like amazing. This show is amazing. Plus I didn't, I have no idea which tangent you're going to take, but I'm glad. Um, I'm, I'm glad that all, everything, all the topics we talk and, uh, Thank you again, and merci beaucoup à tous ceux qui ont écouté et patient. Et yes, uh, hope to train with all of you, and hope to maybe not fight in the tournament with you, but maybe fight in the dojo. Yes, hope I can fight with you in the dojo. Yeah. Until then, Sensei, thank you. Okay. Thank you for watching, everybody. We'll see you next week, and uh, Sensei, thank you as always for letting me be a part of this. Thank, thank you, Ricardo. Thank you.